Lesson 6 for February 4 through to 10, The Holy Spirit and Living a Holy Life. Sabbath afternoon, February 3. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series of lessons on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit means to us, what you mean to us, what Jesus means to us, and how they're all related. And as this week we look at the Holy Spirit and living a holy life, we pray that our minds may be guided as we open your word. Through the function of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to become insensitive to the holiness of God and not to think much about God's revealed hatred of sin and evil. Holiness, however, is a crucial theme in the Bible. The pursuit of holiness to become loving and pure like Jesus should be a priority for every Christian. We are rightly appalled by the I am holier than you attitude, but at the same time we can easily forget what it means to be living a pure and sanctified life. God's love and his holiness inseparably belong together. Without God's holiness, his love would be in danger of sentimentalism. Without his love, God's holiness would be stern and unapproachable. Both attributes, his love and his holiness, are foundational to his nature. The Holy Spirit is intricately connected with our pursuit of holiness. After all, his name is Holy Spirit. And he is called the Spirit of Holiness in Romans 1 verse 4. His name reminds us that God is holy and that it is God's great desire to make sinners into the image of his own holiness. This week, we will take a closer look at what it means to be holy and to live a holy life. Sunday, February 5, The Holiness of God Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through to 16. Why is the ultimate motivation for holiness just the reality of God himself? What motivates you to live a holy life? What does it mean that God is holy? 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. It's popular to emphasize God's love while ignoring his holiness. While God is love... The idea of holiness is more often connected with the name of God in the Bible than in any other attribute. As we read in Psalm 89, verse 18, For our shield belongs to the Lord, 
and our King to the Holy One of Israel. And Isaiah 40, verse 25, To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Or Jeremiah 51, verse 5, For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And Ezekiel 39, verse 7, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holiness describes the purity and moral perfection of his nature. God's holiness means that he is perfectly good and completely free from evil. God's holiness is the perfection of all his other attributes. If God possessed omnipotence, that's infinite power, omniscience, perfect and complete knowledge, and omnipresence, everywhere present, but had not perfect holiness, he would be a power of whom we would rightly be terrified. Instead, he is a God whom we should love. His power is holy power, his mercy is holy mercy, his wisdom is holy wisdom, and his love is holy love. In this sense, holiness is the most intimately divine word of all, because it has to do with the very nature of God. To deny the purity of God's holy being is perhaps worse than denying his existence. The latter makes him non-existent, the former an unlovely, even detestable God. God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and entirely devoted to seeking the good that he represents in himself. In other words, holiness denotes a relational quality as well as a moral quality. It encompasses separation from sin and complete devotion to God's glory. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 and Revelation 4 verse 8, God is described as holy, holy, holy. When the biblical writers wanted to emphasize something that was important, they repeated the word in order to draw our attention to what they said. Jesus draws our attention to important statements by repeating the words truly, truly in John 5.24 and John 6.47. Or Jerusalem, Jerusalem in Matthew twenty three thirty seven, or by calling a name like Martha, Martha in Luke ten forty one. Of all his attributes, only God's holiness is mentioned three times in a row. This indicates something of highest importance. God's nature is indeed holy. He is pure and good. And so to finish today. How scared would you be, and rightly so, if our all-powerful God and Creator were not holy and loving? What does your answer tell you about why we should be so thankful that God is as He is?
Monday, February 6, and it happens to be my birthday today. And the title of our lesson for today is The Nature of Holiness. From my favourite book, Steps to Christ, pages 64 to 65, I read one of my favourite passages. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. For your vision will be clearer, and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast to his perfect nature. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, and that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, and Hebrews 12, verse 14. What is God's purpose for all his people and for the church? Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And Ephesians 5, verses 25 through to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. And Hebrews 12 verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness is both God's gift and a command. Hence, we should pray for it and seek to manifest it daily. Holiness is the fruit of the Spirit displayed in our lives as we walk by the Spirit with Christ every day. As we read in Galatians 5 verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And verse 22 which reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, etc. And verse 25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Holiness, in one word, is Christ-likeness. It means belonging to Jesus and living as his child in loving obedience and commitment, being more and more conformed into his likeness. The basic meaning associated with the concept of holiness signifies a state of being separated, being set aside for a special service for God. On the other hand, holiness also signifies an intrinsic moral and spiritual quality, namely that of being righteous and pure before God. Both aspects need to be kept together. In the New Testament, believers are called holy because of their unique relationship to Jesus, and that sets them apart for a special purpose. Being holy does not make them ethically perfect and sinless, but changes them so that they can start to live a pure and holy lifestyle. Let's compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, where Paul calls the Christians holy ones or saints, even though they are not sinless and perfect. Believers are admonished to 
pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, as you read in Hebrews 12.14. God's acceptance of each believer is perfect from the beginning, yet our growth in sanctification is a lifelong process and always needs to be extended further so that we become more and more transformed into the unblemished image of Him who saved us. And that brings us to our closing paragraph for today, which reads, There is a tension between being holy and yet having to pursue holiness. How will our pursuit of holiness be different if we know that we already belong to God and that we are accepted in Him because of the sacrifice of Jesus in our behalf? Tuesday, February 7, The Agent of Sanctification Question. What do 1 Corinthians 6.11, Titus 3.5 and Hebrews 13.12 tell us about sanctification? Let's read those verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And Titus 3 verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 13.12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Our sanctification is accomplished by faith, as we read in Hebrews 11.6, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and 1 Peter 1, verse two. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.11, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Jesus produces in us lifelong growth in holiness, bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit within us. Our being changed into His likeness, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Question. Read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. What does Paul tell us in these verses? I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There is a battle going on in every believer. The tension we all face stems from the fact that sin dwells in us, as it says in Romans 7.20. The Apostle Paul knew about this battle when he declared toward the end of his life in Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What is the fight of faith that we are to wage against sin? 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down on the right hand of the throne of God. The battle we are called to fight is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as it said in verse 2. Too often we are self-centred in our religion. We focus too much on our victories and on our defeats, rather than on God, who alone can give us victory over sin. When the Holy Spirit helps us to look unto Jesus, we will have no desire for sin, and everything that so easily entangles us will be put aside, as it said in verse 1. But when we focus on our sins and shortcomings, we look at ourselves and not at Jesus. This leads to easy defeat, because by beholding our failures, we can so easily get discouraged. However, by beholding Jesus, we will be encouraged and can live victoriously. And so to finish today, if someone were to ask you, how do I get the victory over sin that is promised to me in the Bible? What would you answer, and why? Bring your response to class on Sabbath. Wednesday, February 8, the rule of holiness is God's law. We know that God calls us to keep his law. The question arises, though, why should we keep the law if we cannot be saved by it? The answer is found in the idea of holiness. Question. Read Romans chapter 7, verse 12 and 1 Timothy 1, verse 8. What attributes does Paul use to describe the law? How does the law reflect the character of God? Romans 7.12 Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. And 1 Timothy 1 verse 8 But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is holy, righteous and good. These three attributes properly designate only God himself. Thus the law is an expression of God's character. To live a spirit-filled life means that we live according to the law of God. The law is the unchanging rule of His holiness. The standard that the law sets does not change any more than does God Himself. Jesus affirmed that the law is not abolished, but that every part is to be fulfilled, as it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, till all is fulfilled." Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches and whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. To keep the law is not legalism, it is faithfulness. 
The law does not save us. It never can. The law is never our way to salvation. Rather, it is the path of the saved. The law, so to speak, are shoes in which our love walks and expresses itself. This is why Jesus could say in a most remarkable manner that when lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Matthew 24 verse 12 Love diminishes when the law is not appreciated. Question. Read Romans chapter 13 verse 10 and Matthew 22 verses 37 to 40. Why is love the fulfilment of the law? Romans 13.10 Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And Matthew 22.37-40 Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the rule and norm for holiness is God's law, the heart of his holiness is love. Love is the response to God's saving acts and is manifested in faithfulness. You cannot be a good disciple of Jesus without being a conscientious and loving lawkeeper. While it is possible to keep the letter of the law without love, it is not possible to exhibit true love without keeping the law. True love desires to be faithful. Love does not abolish the law, it fulfills it. So to finish the day, why is the law an expression of God's love for us? And how are love and obedience related? Thursday, February 9, Pursuing Holiness Question. Read Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2, Ephesians 4, 22-24, and 2 Timothy 2, 21. What do they tell us about holiness? First of all, Psalm 15, beginning at verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And Ephesians 4 verses 22 through to 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And Second Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Holiness is the precondition for enjoying the happiness of fellowship with God. It is the precondition for our usefulness to God. We know the truth of the saying, Sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character. And we might add, character is destiny. The only thing we will take with us to heaven will be our characters. Developing new habits and new characters, however, is not self-sanctification by self-elfit. 
Habit-forming is the ordinary way that the Spirit leads us in holiness. Habits are all important in our Christian walk, especially those habits that grow in connection with such biblical virtues as patience, love, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit has filled our hearts, we will no doubt be active for God, but too often we forget that it is God who sanctifies us and who will finish the good work that He has begun in us, as it said in Philippians 1 and verse 6. Sometimes we are so busy doing all kinds of things for God that we forget to enjoy time with Him in prayer. When we are too busy to pray, we really are too busy to be Christians. Perhaps our knowledge and success have made us so self-reliant and self-confident that we take for granted our skills and fine programs and thus forget that, apart from Christ and without the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Activism is not holiness. There will be people who think that they have done great works for the Lord and yet they really were not following Him at all. As it says in Matthew seven twenty two and 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? There is a big difference between being called by God or being driven to do something for God. If we have not first taken the quiet time to hear the call of God, we stand in danger of being self-driven to do whatever we do. But there will be no strength, no power, no peace and no lasting blessing associated with our work if it does not spring out of a divine calling. Our greatest need in our personal holiness is quality time with God when we hear His voice and receive new strength from His Word as led by the Holy Spirit. This will give our work distinct credibility and convincing power. Friday, February 10. How do we even begin to grasp the holiness of God when our nature is fallen and corrupt and His is uncompromisingly holy? His holiness defines Him as singular and separated from the world of sin and death that we humans experience. Yet here is the most amazing thing. God offers us the opportunity to participate in His holiness. That's part of what a covenant relationship with Him is about. Leviticus 19.2 reads, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or, as the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8 verses 8 to 10, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In these texts, we can see the connection between holiness, covenant, and law. We cannot be holy apart from obeying God's law, and we obey His law only as He Himself, the Holy Spirit, writes His law in our hearts and minds. What a sacred privilege is ours! 
that we may be partakers of his holiness, as it says in Hebrews 12.10, which we express by loving obedience to his law. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. One, in class, go over your answers to the question at the end of Tuesday's study about what you would tell someone who asked about how to have the promises of victory over sin realised in their own lives. What would you tell them? Two, what does it mean to have God's law written in our hearts and minds? Why is this different from having it written only on tablets of stone? Three, when you think of God's holiness, what do you think of? Go around the class and let each person talk about what they envision God's holiness to be like. What does Jesus reveal to us about God's holiness? 4. What is the foundation for our holiness? How is holiness achieved? And 5. Earlier in the week, Wednesday's study stated, The law does not save us, it never can. The law is never our way to salvation. Rather, it is the path of the saved. How does this sentiment help us understand what the role of the law should be for sanctified Christians in whom the Holy Spirit is working? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is the second part of Lord, I Can't Find You, Please Find Me. Greg invited Hanel to visit an Adventist church. She hesitated because she had been disappointed so often, but eventually she agreed to go. She didn't expect much, but when she arrived at the church, she was overwhelmed with the warmth and friendliness of the people. She was amazed to hear the deep Bible discussion. These people knew so much about the Bible. I loved the sermon too, Hanel later recalled. I returned the following week. At first, Hanel struggled with attending church on Saturday until she understood the preciousness of the Sabbath. Several other aspects of the Adventist faith puzzled her as well, but Greg helped her to find answers to her questions, and she continued attending the church. I fell in love with Jesus, just as my cousin had done so many years earlier, said Hanel. That summer, I visited the church Bible camp, where I studied the Bible deeply with fellow seekers and came away spiritually refreshed. During breaks, I sat by the lake and prayed for my husband. Hanel returned home from camp rejoicing. As usual, she shared her love for God with her husband, but this time she felt compelled to urge him to make a decision for Jesus. She didn't know it then, but that was their last conversation about religion. Two days later, he died in an automobile accident. I couldn't understand why God would take away my husband so soon after I had given my life to the Lord, she said. Now I understand that God gave me a church family to support me and pray with me during those difficult days. The Bible text I had memorized gave me peace, and the Holy Spirit comforted me. Hanel went to work for the church's Bible correspondence school, where she helps others who are struggling with some of the same issues she had. Eventually, Hanel met a good man at church, and the two married. God has given us a ministry together, she says. As for Craig in Australia, he returned to the Lord as well, 
God surely works in mysterious ways. In 2010, a portion of your 13th Sabbath School offering provided funds to help build a bigger place of worship for an Adventist group who were meeting in a school in Numella in Finland. Thank you for your generosity in helping your brothers and sisters around the world through the 13th Sabbath offering. For more mission stories from the Trans-European Division, visit www.adventistmission.org slash mission dash quarterlies or download the Adventist Mission app. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.